You're listening to the first episode of Stacked Skills by Clarence. Hi, thanks everyone once again for coming in. I'm Clarence and I'll be hosting a session for today. I'll do a quick introduction of myself while we're waiting for the rest of the attendees. So I actually have come from an engineering background. I did four years of undergrad studies in chemical and biomedical engineering. And towards the end of my graduation, I actually decided to embark on a career in financial planning instead. Totally different view, totally wasn't trained for it. But at that time, I felt that it was the best decision I could make. And this is my 13th year in the industry, having joined 2010. And I've been enjoying every step of the way, to be honest. I think the key thing is to be able to apply what you want to achieve and what skill sets you already have and try to find a, a nice mix of both. And to be honest, it's quite difficult to be able to do this right at the start of your career. And I'm guessing that most of you here today have a few years of experience at least. And that should be enough for you to figure out what you can do to excel at the career. And I'll be sharing a little bit about this later on as well. So just a quick check. Can everybody use the, the reaction buttons that they have? Anybody having any difficulties to you know, highlight that? Okay, cool. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mary. I see those thumbs up. Thanks, Hussein. Yeah, I see the thumbs up as well, Kari. Roxanne, Simon, Roger, Tiyu, Siavuma. Andre, thanks everybody. Yeah, I see that most most of you can use the buttons well. Oh, that's perfect. So, if there are any issues, you can just let us know. And I mean, if you have any ideas or comments that you want to share, please do raise your hand, or you can just drop a message in the comment section of the event page where you have the link to, so we can get back to those later if there isn't enough time today. So it's supposed to be a casual session, as easy as we can make it, and along the way, if you have questions or, or stuff that you want to ask, please go ahead and do those. I think the biggest question on most most people's minds when I say that I come from an engineering background and I decided to go into financial planning, most people would ask me why. I mean, that's the biggest question you would get. If you ever do something that's different from what your path is supposed to lead you to. I mean, I was supposed to pick up an engineering job work in a plant or some manufacturing facility and, you know, pull a nine to five or shift work in order to get the production running smoothly. Those were the things that are expected of, of an engineer during my time. And I, I decided to go on a different path because I recognized that there are certain things that I would be good at, certain things that I may not be good at, certain things I have to learn. So in the first few years of my career, I had a lot to learn. I was basically terrible at talking to people. I wouldn't be saying the right things at the right times. Not really the most empathic of people as well. So I used to have a very big difficulty in speaking to customers. And I can totally understand, like from a sales perspective, how things can be very, very difficult if you don't acquire the right skill sets. So the interesting story is, in the course of the first three to four years, I actually picked up the skills that I needed in order to communicate with people properly. I mean, getting an idea across is one thing, 
but saying it in a manner that doesn't get you hated is another thing. And I used to have this problem where most of the people I talked to would actually not like me because I was too direct, because I was pointing out, I mean, in, in my head, I was doing them a favor, right? So I was telling people, hey, look, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. And I, I think what I learned over the years is how to put points across in a very nice fashion. I have some speaking experience. It comes from joining Toastmasters for a good number of years. And I've learned a lot, a lot from them in the sense of how to present an idea well and how to give feedback as well as negative feedback in a way that is acceptable to most people. I think that that helps in part of what I'm doing as well. And it also helps me articulate my ideas, which is quite useful when we're coming to an audio session like this. All right, thanks everyone for coming. A couple of minutes more, then we will start discussing the content in a bit of detail. It's quite amazing how technology has come so far. Two, three years ago, nobody would have imagined having audio events on a social media platform like this. And I believe that the COVID lockdowns really helped to speed things up in terms of technology and how things are acceptable nowadays. It is a very interesting pace as well, because I mean, to, to put it this way, without this platform LinkedIn, I wouldn't be speaking to all of you wonderful people today. So really appreciate your presence. And I really hope I can share something that will give you a good takeaway for today. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us once again. And for those who have just joined, for today, we'll be talking about how to merge your skills to create your unique market advantage. I think something that's interesting to me is that... A lot of people are always in the phase where they are doing research and development all the time, where you're doing a lot of, a lot of research. You're learning from this source, from that source. You're picking up great content on LinkedIn from a lot of the great creators over here as well. You're learning and learning and learning. And that's a fantastic thing. I mean, having a learning mind is one of those things that really can get you ahead in life, right? Here's the catch. I see a lot of research. I see a lot of people consuming content all the time. And the problem is there's not enough development in a lot of cases where you're taking in knowledge from various sources. If you don't put the book on the ground and get the development of this done, then that, that begins to be a problem, right? Where you don't have a new creation, you don't make something new, and you're not moving along at a pace. There's nothing to feedback into research if you just treat it as research and no development. So the, the term R&D, research and development, comes along very well because both parts are really needed in order to get ahead. So what happens is that in, in a case whereby we are trying to get ahead, sometimes it's important to know what research we have already done or what skill sets you already have. So here's the interesting thing. I would like to share an idea that you would be able to take away, which is everything that you know is a skill. So the word everything really encompasses everything. And most of the time, people will stop and stare at me when I tell them that everything you know is a skill. Right? So what is everything? Stuff like walking, stuff like talking, stuff like breathing. Are these skills? Most people stop and say, no, hey, everybody breathes, everybody walks, everybody talks. So here's the thing. If you narrow down to breathing alone, 
there are various forms of breathing exercises. You can do breathing normally, like we all have to, to survive. You have meditation, which teaches certain breathing techniques. You have yoga, which teaches another set of breathing techniques. You have athletes that breathe very differently from you and I when they have to run a marathon or a sprint. And you have public speakers that have to use a certain breath technique in order to be able to carry their voice well, to project well. So breathing alone has so many different users in different ways. And what happens is that you will have skills in using your breath in a certain way, but other ways may not be something that is so natural to you, right? So when you start thinking like that and you realize that everything that you know can be classified as a skill, it begins to be easier for you to realize that you do carry a lot of skill sets on your own. So a little bit about the history of how I managed to move in from engineering to financial advisory. The first thought I had was, hey, engineering is not for me. So I need to look for something else that would be more appropriate for my you know, level of learning or for my expertise. But the other thought hit me at that point when I was a student, and it was, I can, you know, switch to a business course and learn everything else that financial advisors need to know. Or I could finish up learning my engineering course, pick out the skill sets that I need, and translate this over to financial advisory. So figure out how to do the analysis, how to think like an engineer, the calculations, the problem solving, and bring all of this over into the financial advisory world. Right. So taking the skills that I know, the stuff that I learned and applying it in the next job that I'm going to go for. And that would make me unique, right? Because you have a whole bunch of people graduating from business school, going into business world. And I was one of those few going into the business world from an engineering background. And it did give me a lot of analytical skills that I needed to get the job done. But that was where the stumbling began. Right, Because as an engineer, we don't have that many modules or communication classes. We have projects that we work with peers together, but we don't have as many interactions or presentations as the business cohort does. So what I realized quickly was being able to communicate with people was very, very much important when it comes to financial advisory, sharing ideas. And that's where you start to realize that, hey, there are some skill sets that I need to pick up. And what you realize is that in any course of study that you have done before, you probably will have learned a vast, vast number of things, a vast number of skill sets. And yet, in the work that you're doing today, you might not be using all of the skills that you have learned previously. So that's the thing. Being able to find a new need for your skill to be able to put them in a current context is where being able to merge your skills will help you to be very different from everybody else. So in my example, it was the engineering over to financial advisory. But importantly, is being able to realize when you will start to pick up new skills or when you have to pick up these new skills. So one of the things that is very important to know is that everybody has a skill set. Everybody is a person, right? So I made the example that a lot of the top producers I know in the, in the company, top performers, have the same features two eyes, a nose, two ears, and a mouth. And almost everybody has that, right? The thing is, they're using their features and their ideas a lot more differently from everybody else. The way that they approach their customers, the way that they use their expressions, the way that they portray certain products or plans, for example, really set them apart from how everybody else does it. 
And these are things that they have learned over the years as well. It's not that somebody can just step into a company and become a top producer, but there are a lot of different skills that are layered on after time to be able to make somebody very different and very unique. And this is where learning skills becomes very important. There is a concept that I like to think about, and this was actually illustrated by Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers. He actually wrote that you need 10,000 hours of deliberate practice to master a skill. 10,000 hours. So if you convert them into days, into months, you really have to spend a lot of time to get good at one skill. So the thing is, a lot of people out there try to do this. They, they try to spend 10,000 hours mastering a single skill. And the catch is that you don't have that many 10,000 hours to go around mastering skills, right? If you do that, you have one or two very highly qualified skills, yes. But at the same time, one or two highly qualified skills will not be able to bring you that unique advantage that you're seeking because there is always one or two people out there that can do that same skill slightly better than I can. So if you start getting into the contest of, you know, picking up one skill and mastering it really well, then you end up in a never ending cycle where you're always doing your research and research and research, but not shifting into the development phase. So one suggestion I have is do consider learning new skills and figuring out which is a good skill to invest more time and effort in. So there was a TED talk that was done by one of the speakers. Let me try to pull out his name. What he suggested was that you only need about 20 hours of time spent on a skill in order to learn a new skill. So you don't really need to spend 10,000 hours because if you spend about 20 hours going in depth, deliberate practice on the skill, you will become proficient enough to use it well. And I believe that this gentleman was Josh Kaufman. So what he shared was, well, 20 hours deliberate practice and you become proficient enough to look pretty good using that skill. So here's the concept that I want you to consider. 10,000 hours on a skill versus 20 hours on a skill, right? Why not spend that 20 hours, pick it up, become decent enough at that new skill cooking, you know, marketing, sales, website creation, social media marketing, spend 20 hours on it, then figure out whether that skill is worth learning and investing more time and effort into. Because that same 10,000 hours can allow you to test out 2,500 different skills to add into your skill set. And you realize that if you can pick up a vast array of skills, it becomes much more easy for you to become unique at what you do. So for example, I'm running an audio event right now. I'm speaking basically and comfortably to a whole room full of people, which is quite astounding by the way. Thank you all for coming once again. And the thing is, I would not have been able to do this if I didn't pick up my speaking experience from various sources, if I didn't pick up social media marketing and being able to talk about the event and you know publicize it in a way that is interesting enough for people to come down and have a listen. So these are all little, little facts and factors that came together to make an event like this successful. And what I did was that 
I used some of the skill sets that I have and configured it in a way that was helpful for this event. So basically merging those skills, right, to create something that's different. And the reason why I'm doing an event like this is to basically share the knowledge that I have as well, touch base and build my brand online. That's basically it. So those are some of the steps that I'm taking in order to help create that unique market advantage. And I'm very glad that you guys are here to share a little bit about this as well. And also, you know, ask any questions that you might have. So some of the things that, you know, I've, I've met people and they tell me, hey, I have a problem dealing with this customer, dealing with that customer. I have a problem solving this issue at work because X, Y, Z, or the boss is not hearing my suggestions. I know I can do this job better because... So I get a lot of these feedback from people around me. And I think the most predominant case is that they have a lot of unique skills that they're not applying at that moment to, to solve the problem at the work. So the, the thing is, every task, be it you know a project at work or something I need to turn up and exercise that I need to get done, every task I have will require a different skill set to solve it. There will be an ideal skill set that I can use to solve the issue as well. So the question is usually, what are, are the skill sets needed to solve that task? And also how I can go about figuring out which are the skills of mine I should use to solve the problem, right? So these are some of the things that can be considered when you're looking at an issue. Say, I don't have enough sales, for example. I need to look for more leads, for example. So these are problem statements that would require a certain skill set to solve, right? If you are thinking, hey, I, I'm not getting enough leads in order to run my business, then the question is, where can I get my leads from? Do I go and prospect people? Do I cold call? Do I go on social media, market myself and hope somebody bites? Do I take up courses, for example, to figure out how to market better? Do I build a website? Do I build a funnel? Do I write a newsletter? So these are things that can lead to more leads and figuring out which of these methods work best for you is part of the development process in the R&D. So after you figure out, hey, I need to learn all of these skills, I need to write a newsletter, I need to write a, a, you know, a website, I need to be able to market on social media, then how do I go about doing it, right? So knowing how you can go ahead and acquire those skills can be something that's very important as well. And one of the favorite ways of acquiring new skills that I have is reading. I basically pick up books that are highly recommended in different fields, sales, psychology, thinking processes. And these really help me to build up skill sets from other places as well. And sometimes even for LinkedIn, right? A lot of creators share a lot of different ideas and I learn a lot of new things from these sources. So I'm going to take a quick pause here and just go around. Yeah, sorry, I, I missed out. Jonathan, you're asking to speak, right? I'll bring you up. Do you happen to have any questions? Hi, Jonathan, you're up on the stage, so you can unmute yourself and share what you are intending to. Oh, okay. Maybe it was a mistake. So yeah, I, I mean, thanks everyone who just joined in as well. So right now we are talking about how to merge skills to create your unique market advantage. And we are having a quick break here to see if there are any questions or any things that 
you might want to ask in this moment. Pop your hand up and I can bring you up on stage for, for the question. Oh, hi, Mary. Yeah, I'm bringing you up. Hi, Mary. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having the listening session today. I am curious, you, you spoke a little bit about marketing your event and you've done well 65 people in an audio session. It's pretty good turnout that I've seen. So you want to share a little bit about kind of what you did for people that maybe haven't done a session yet, maybe to share the marketing piece a little? Oh, cool. Thanks for asking, Mary. And I think it's a very interesting question. I did not expect this turnout, to be honest. I'm very thankful that everybody's here, and especially for this question as well. So one thing is that the audio event has a little bit of kinks to work through. To be honest, I had to start a couple of audio events myself and test it through. And I realized that from host point of view, it might not be so easy. So you might want to give it a couple of shots, creating a test event before you go about marketing it. The next thing is that in terms of the exposure that I use for the marketing marketing this event, there were a few posts that were written leading up to this actual day. And those posts were a quick reminder, a little bit of a sharing learning point, as well as a call to action to join in the event. So that helped to raise some visibility and increase the number of people that were keen on, on being able to be here to that tonight. The other thing that was done was direct messaging to some of the attendees that were joining in as well to just, you know, say hi, hey, we need to so just a quick recap that there's an audio event that's happening. So do save the date. So that actually helps to reduce the number of people not turning up for the event because of something that popped up, etc. I mean, it is quite difficult to control real-life situations on the other end. And the final thing is that I did reach out to personal contacts as well in terms of connections. So a DM to say, hi, I'm having an event and would appreciate if you can come by. So the direct messaging also does help because it's something that, you know, is an invite and it's not really something that I'm trying to sell or, you know, pitch slap across to people. And I believe that helped to increase the numbers quite a fair bit until the event itself. So hopefully that answers some of your questions, Mary. I appreciate that. Yes, yes sir. Thank you very much. You're, you're very welcome. Thanks for the question. Oh, hi, Amit. Thank you for waiting so patiently. Do you have something you, you wanted to share? Not hearing anything from your side, though. Are you speaking? Oh, okay. So... If you do have a question later, I mean, maybe you can just pop a comment in the event page. Then we can have a little chat about it as well. Hi, Karen. Good to see you. Hold on. Let me bring you up. Hi, Elizabeth. If you don't mind, have a chat with Karen. Yeah. Hi, Karen. Hi. This is a lovely turnout and congratulations. I've only caught the end. I'm sorry. I, I was a bit late to the party. But I do have a question and you may have covered this already. When you're looking at evaluating the skills that you might have, you know, all the things that you've learned, is there a particular technique that you use to pull an identification of those skills together and then for you to rate them to look at where you feel confident in using those skills to add to your marketing technique? Ah, that's a great question, Karen, and I think it's very valid. Most of the time, we have a difficulty in 
rating, how good we are. And it is very usual that this is the case. I mean, we are not our own mirror. And this is one of the reasons why having a really good buddy there to point out all of my flaws really helps me to not, you know, fall into the same trap so often or speak so badly all the time. And one of the things that really struck me was that I was in school when one of my classmates just told me straight up in my face that I spoke very bluntly and I should avoid that. And it's a lesson that stuck with me like 20, 30 years down the road. So the best way to be able to break your skills would be to talk to somebody who's neutral and ask them, hey, if you were to put a number one to 10 on this ability of mine, like my ability to speak, my ability to be able to, you know, a cycle or bowl or play pool, for example, market, how's my website? What you will get is probable better idea of your skill level compared to trying to guess it for yourself. Sometimes it's, ah, thanks for your question. I mean, I'll address that in a bit. So yes, back to Karen. So sorry for, for that. Right, so having a, a neutral set of eyes would really help you to be able to identify the points a lot better. Sometimes it's not always possible to, you know, go up to a best friend and say, hey, can you rate my skill on this? Can you rate my skill on that? Can you rate my skill on this or that? And it becomes a bit difficult for, for you to approach somebody with all of those questions. What you can consider is having an accountability partner that you're working with and say that, hey, I'm looking at building up my skill sets right now. And I'm going to be asking you a range of questions on how, how you feel my skills are rated or how my skills should be counted. And in return, I'll be able to do the same for you. So if you do that trade-off, you will be able to have somebody who's another pair of eyes to offer you an opinion on the skill sets that you have and what kind of ratings there are. So I actually do cover a little bit about this in the book that I published recently, where we are talking about the title more than 100%. So in that book, I actually focus a lot about skills. In fact, the whole book is talking about skills, how to acquire them, how to rate them, how to be able to train them better. So that book covers that. But as to what you're asking, how to rate the, the points, there are two main ways. One, having a neutral party looking at it for you and giving you an opinion. And the method that I favor using for the ease and convenience of not having to ask somebody all the time is that I'll try to rate myself on the skills that I have from one to 10 as honestly as I can, because, well, I'm not going to hurt my own feelings if I say that my skills are a three or a two right now. There is a risk of overestimating how high your skill is. So always take it with a pinch of salt if you're doing it yourself and saying that, hey, on my speaking ability, I'm an eight out of 10. I'm probably not an eight, six, six and a half, I guess. So that's a practical way to do it fast. Hope that answers your question, Karen. Can I just add one thing there? As you were talking, I was just thinking of some of the methods that I use in the work I do, and it's sure. about evidencing it. So when mm -hmm. you are looking at scoring yourself six and a half out of 10, it's about yeah. saying, well, how do I know that? Where is the evidence? And mm -hmm. what did it achieve? So it's kind of like you're adding concrete, you know, to your belief that you have that skill. But I just wondered how you basically took that list of skills and made them work for you. I, I come across from an introverted point of view where going up to people and asking them for help and support is often something I know I wouldn't have done. I, I know I'm a bit better at it now, but I wouldn't have done that previously. So I would have held mm -hmm. back in that 
And so I might have overestimated my skills or underestimated my skills. So thank you for answering the question. And I will take a look at your book. I think that, you know, knowing the importance of the relationships with the people that we have around us is just so important. And I'm glad that you covered that. So thank you, Clarence. Most welcome, Karen. I think the other thing that will address your question, as well as Amit's question, is about the 10,000 hours. So I mentioned earlier that Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, Outliers, he mentioned 10,000 hours as a prerequisite for mastering a skill, like being rating 10, I would call it, in a skill. You need to spend 10,000 deliberate hours practicing the skill. And it becomes quite impractical for most people because we do not need that level of proficiency to get things done. And... The other gentleman that I was referring to, this gentleman called Josh Kaufman, his theory is that you need 20 hours to learn a new skill from scratch. And my take is that 20 hours is something that is much more investable in new skills. And therefore, I would be able to invest lots of 20 hours to pick up a whole different skill set and figure out what works from there. Because it's impossible to know sometimes right off the bat. So thanks very much for your question, Karen. I, I believe Elizabeth has a question as well. Hi, Kabiru. Maybe after Elizabeth's question. Hi. Good afternoon, Claire. Good job. I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the, the talk. Add to your answers to Karen's question. I think also when we improvise, when I mean improvise, when we are put in a difficult situation, our ability to muster skill, skill sets together to deliver on the tax gives some form of confidence. In your own view, do you think that is experience or it is, would I call it, mastery of skills? Because when the situation is it's improvised, it's yes. impromptu, so to say. What, what's your view on that? Very good question. Thanks a lot for asking this, Kabiru. I believe it's a confluence of factors. The first thing, like you mentioned, experience. Yes, I believe experience is important. And reflection of the experience can be very important as well. So what happens is that after my first situation of meeting a very difficult customer or standing on stage and getting booed off stage, for example, after that situation occurs, instead of focusing on the negatives, which is I did badly or people don't appreciate my, my speech, I can't close that deal with the customer, I go back and think, how do I make it better? What was the point of my speech where people started booing me? What was the turning point of what I was saying to the customer that got them off the sale instead of on the sale? So the reflection of that situation speeds up the learning experience. So instead of having to spend 10,000 hours learning how to speak better in public, how to close a deal better with a customer, I spent 20 hours instead because I spent that time reflecting, figuring out what I can do better. So but the key thing is that Experience is one thing. Having to experience a failure over and over again can be very disheartening though. So being able to reflect on the situation instead of having to go through multiple bad speeches on stage, for example, would really cut short the learning time and it will not kill the morale for me to be, be able to go up on stage again. So part of the situation is being able to reflect and figure out what could have been done better. The other part would be in terms of the mindset across the whole thing. So you realize that I didn't say that, hey, I'm focusing on the, the fact that I failed, but rather I'm treating it as a learning experience. So after getting off the stage, 
okay, I learned how to get booed on stage. So let's do the next step of learning how not to get booed on stage, right? So that's the approach that I will take. And that helps to take my mind off. It takes my emotions of the so-called failure a little bit. And it allows me to look at the situation a bit more clearly than I would have before. I'm not saying that I, I will totally be unaffected by it because that's that's plain impossible. But it allows me to be as neutral as, as I possibly can regarding that particular difficult situation. So after going through that, another thing that could be learned is how to be resilient, how to receive no as an answer more often. And that was honestly part of the reason why I chose financial advisory as a job, because I wanted to learn the best way to be able to talk to people and sell an idea to them. And I realized that the hardest thing to sell in the world is probably insurance. So that's part of the reason why I chose this particular line to get started, because I wanted to learn how to accept no for an answer. So I hope that explains a little bit of like my, my views and mindset. Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Thank you for the question. Appreciate you asking it. Hi, Ali. Would you like to have a go? I'm going to ask a simple question like, how a fresh person who's just starting his career in any field and he just so much panic because he has to do so much stuff to appreciate mm -hmm. the acquisition from his boss. So how he could organize his skills, how he could prioritize his skills so that he can merge them later on and then excel in the market. Thank you. Hmm. That's a very good question. So experience does play a little part in this situation where knowing some of the things that you need to know and you know performing it will help. At the same time, coming from a fresh perspective of, you know, I just got into this job, I just graduated from university, that can be a very daunting thing to most people. And it becomes very difficult for you to focus on what you're strong at. Because once the job or the boss requirements are thrown at you, I have to solve this problem, I have to solve that problem. It becomes a very fast paced situation where you have to keep moving to keep up. So what I would suggest doing at that point of time is taking a step back and looking at the situation with a fresh pair of eyes. So for example, if the boss gives you a project that is very difficult to do, you have no experience, instead of starting off Googling for all of the best answers you can get, instead of taking the question and throwing it into chat GPT and hoping that it can give me the best possible response, I should take a step back and look at the situation. Okay, what is this project asking of me? What needs to be solved? Is it really answering the question that the boss might have? Or is it that the boss has no idea what needs to be done and is giving me this project in the hope of finding out the solution to the problem? So we need to redefine the situation a little bit. And the only way to do that is to not get caught up in the, let's get it done, let's get it done. Let me find the fastest and the, the smartest way to solve this project. But I, I would stop, step back and question, why are we doing this project in the first place? Does it help the company earn more money? Does it help the company cut more expenses? Does it help the company to do things faster? Less manpower, less brain power needed? Does it make processes more consistent? So these are the questions I would ask before I started on the project. And if it doesn't fit any of the criteria, if it doesn't help the company make more money, save some money or solve any problems, then the next question I'll have is why does the boss want me to do this project? Right, so that is part of the thinking process that I'll apply. And of course, the visibility that you have is very different from what I have. I mean, if you're standing there looking at the problem, it might seem like 
it's a huge mountain to cross. But if you take one or two steps back, you look at it from afar, you might be able to spot some of these things. After you can identify, okay, this project is really trying to do ABC, right? It's trying to help the company move forward. It's trying to cut down manpower that's needed. Then what you can do is you draw upon experiences that you had previously to get the job done. So for example, if I wanted to send out 200 hard copy mail envelopes like posted to my customers, do I write all of the names of my customers, addresses of my customers on the envelopes one by one? Or do I find a different way to do it? So at that point of time, what I did was that I learned a new feature on Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel, which is mail merge. Mm. So I mail merged everything and I figured out how to get a printer to print all of the mail merge documents out. So 200 address envelopes were, were done in like 15 minutes instead of like two or three hours. So different problems will require different skill sets to solve. But at the same time, instead of just grabbing the envelopes and starting to write down the addresses one by one, I decided to take a step back and, hey, how can I do this faster? So that step back really helped me to smoothen out things in the long run. So I hope that, you know, this this insight could help you to understand that a little bit better. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot for your question, Ali. Appreciate you asking. So hopefully things will be quite smooth at your work. Hi, Elizabeth. Sorry. Hey. hey, hey, nice to speak with you. So I am just starting college and I am majoring in business administration with business development focus. And I am finding out that I have very little that comes into experience and skills. I know I have like some skills because I worked in education with kids. I worked in customer service. I have nothing skill-wise when it comes to doing things for business. What is like a good way for me to gain some experience and skills in that without being able or without having to do an internship that would be qualified for me to be able to get a job once I finish? Cool. Uh, okay. School. Th thanks for sharing. And I, I think it's very salient that you gave me a bit of the, the, the background that you have. So can I just ask, when you say customer service experience, what exactly do you do? for that, that particular work? Well, I was a lead server. So, I mean, I had to deal with customers. I had to help them with taking their orders. I had to, whenever there was issues, I had to solve the issues. I had to make sure that their information was taken correctly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's all I can think of right now. <laughs> that, that is a lot. And one thing I have is respect for people who do customer service because customer service is one of the hardest things you can do, right? You're, you're dealing with somebody who's paying. Most of the time, if customer service steps in, that means that the customer is not happy with something. A lot of the times you have to deal with communication barriers whereby the customer is trying to articulate what they want, but it doesn't quite match what the company has. And you're caught between dealing with the customer and giving them something that makes them happy and dealing with the boss, you have, you have to, you know, keep the customer happy without giving the house away. Right. So it's that balance there that is quite difficult as well. And a lot of these experiences come from customer service. Customer service alone is a skill set you can apply anywhere you go. So put it this way, if you treat your boss or your interviewer as a customer that you're trying to deal with, 
and you give them exactly what they want without giving the house away, it will be so much easier for you to land that first job at the interview. It'll be so much easier for you to land that first promotion while keeping the boss happy and not having to work all those insane hours of overtime. And basically, it will help you to deal with people a lot better than not having that experience. Dealing with kids as well, because you mentioned childcare, is also another very powerful way of progressing because kids have a very strong emotional push to get stuff done. And a lot of them don't have all their filters built in just as yet because, you know, being young, not knowing how society should work or, you know, knowing how society should work and not doing it anyway. So they, they will like fight, they will throw tantrums, you know, jostle with each other, stuff that you don't do as an adult. But sometimes you take that and you put it into an adult context, you would be able to see colleagues who want to punch each other's lights out, right? But they don't do it because as a social norm, we don't. It's just that being able to recognize that emotion would be something that's very helpful. So taking your experience from childcare and bringing it up to the adult world, you can probably sense emotions a bit better, like how certain people want to react but can't, for example. So that gives you an ability to read into people. So these are some of the skills, right? That if you start to recognize that you have and you start to apply them a bit more, then you'll realize that you have a better edge over the next candidate that's interviewing with the HR and you know not applying that knowledge of customer service or not applying that knowledge of reading emotions as well. And that will give you an edge in the interviewing process. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So hopefully that gives you some of a heads up. I think most of the time is drawing on the experience that you have and talking up the right points. So one of the examples was that uh, in order to get this job that I'm in, I actually sent a resume over. And in the resume, I stated that, you know, I have some sales experience in the retail line. I have some sales experience selling speakers for an IT company. And what I focused on was how many speakers I sold during that one or two days of a IT fair that we had. And I think that really helped to bring across the point that I was able to sell stuff. And coming from an engineering background, it didn't hinder me to get my current job position as well. So that was something that I felt would be useful because I recognized that, hey, if I need to sell in my current job, I need to show some experience of selling in my previous job. So that was something yeah. that I, I did back then. So hopefully that helps. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Hi, Charlotte. I think you had a question. Yes. First of all, congratulations, Clarence. Oh, thank you. Just earlier in your talk, you mentioned about learning and enhancing our skills through books and learning platforms and mediums. So what advice can you specifically give us in terms of like probably recommending resources and strategy that you have proven to improve critical thinking? Because as we know, creating a unique market advantage would require that those ideas that will be coming or flowing from us should really be innovative and disruptive, right? Yes, it could be. So, so you thank you a lot for your yeah. question, Charlotte. Yeah. Okay. So here's the interesting thing. The, the thing that struck me the most about talking about skill sets was a little research that I did on Steve Jobs back then. Steve actually created one of the first few computers that was available to us, mass market, which was the Apple, right? And one of the things that he had to design along with the computer was a way to communicate with the computer. And so he came out with the keyboard. So one of the interesting stories that I heard was that 
Steve Jobs actually attended a font class in university as a module, and he wasn't even a student of that particular class. He sat in, he learned about sans serif, he learned about serif fonts, and he was like, hey, this is good knowledge. So he took that knowledge from one class he sat in, in university, and he designed the keyboard that all of us are using today when we are using our laptops and computers. So sometimes being able to see that link and apply it to something that you're doing would make the difference because so many people sat through that font class and how many of them actually came up with the actual keyboard that we use to deal with our computers today. So sometimes being a super master at the skills that we are, the skills that we are looking at may not be the necessary thing, but rather having that linkage or that knowledge that fonts exist is important enough, whereby I can always hire an expert to come in later to deal with the issue at hand, but I need to recognize that, hey, to deal with the computer, to get the keyboard done, I need to know a little bit about font, right? I don't need to know the whole extent. I just need to know that this is a piece in the puzzle that fits in, in that particular region. So a lot of the times we actually have skill sets of our own and we the difficulty that people face is usually what are the other skills I need to add on to my portfolio right now. So that's why I mentioned that LinkedIn is a fantastic place. I've learned so much from the other creators on the platform as well. And that's probably because I follow a vast variety of, of creators with very different skill sets. I follow copywriters. I follow people who do SEO. I follow people who are talking about you know, accountancy, for example. It's a whole diverse range. And yet I'm picking up little bits of knowledge from here and there. The thing is, I don't discount that knowledge that I know. So whatever I'm picking up, I may only have a 1 out of 10 skill in this particular aspect. And it doesn't matter to me because now that I know that that skill exists, I can activate that skill. If I require, if I if I have a job or project that requires me to be a 3 or 4 out of 10 for it, then all I need to do is go in, look for more material, look for some practice opportunities for the skill, and I can brush it up to a level that is serviceable for the work. So one of the examples I feel that is very relevant to me is that I recently published a book. It just went live yesterday and the URL for the book is actually on the event post if anybody's looking for it. And here's the thing, I was never trained in the English language, not officially. I didn't major in English. I am not a copywriter by profession and I'm not an editor for sure. I'm an engineer, financial planning, as a main course that I'm doing right now. And book writing has, well, nothing in common with what I'm doing other than the fact that I get lots of practice writing LinkedIn posts, right? So what I did was that I challenged myself to be an author in this case, put my idea out, make sure that it can hold its own in a book that I'm creating. And I decided to do the copy editing myself. So I forced myself to think, okay, if I'm a copy editor, these are the things I look for, these are the things that I do. And interestingly enough, in my book, one of the last few editing runs that I did, I actually removed 74, I think, exclamation marks from the copy itself because, you know, I'm, I'm a very excitable person when it comes to sharing ideas and, you know, writing. And I left about four or five in, if I, if I recall correctly. So that is quite a humbling process when I realized that, hey, my initial writing has a lot to be worked on because most of the time people are writing perfectly functional sentences, paragraphs, and essays. The trouble comes when you have to string in like essay after essay to make it into a 40,000 word project. And then 
a lot of little errors come up in between that are not generally visible. So it really did take a few editing runs of my own to be able to clear all of those things. And I think it's part of the skill set of being able to go into content and deal with it properly. And I can assure you, I had zero experience with editing before that. I am glad that I have experience now. I would never want to do it again. But I mean, I mean, I, I know how to if I wanted to. So thanks a lot for your question, Charlotte. I hope I answered it. Yes, thank you for the practical advice. All right, you're most welcome. Hi, Thomas. Do you have something that you wanted to share or ask? Hi, Thomas. You're muted currently. So if you'd like to speak, could you unmute yourself? Or do you have like anything that you wanted to ask or share? But I guess maybe. So Hi. Yes. Oh, sorry, you, you're muted. Yeah, sorry, you're muted just now. So could you repeat what you're saying? All right. Firstly, I want to thank you for this opportunity because you're gathering us here and we are a lot of people and we do different kinds of jobs. And that case, thank you. So my question comes that is I am a young exporter. I'm, I'm, I'm playing now big business field and according to my, my size, I'm a young person and I've just started doing this. So the only thing I want to get from you is how can I draw or what should I do to expand my business globally? And what skills should I use in this field? And apart from that, I'm also a writer. Yeah. And what advice could you give a, a person who is a young writer in that field? All right. Young writer, I caught that. But what is the other business that you were doing? I couldn't quite hear it just now. Sorry. Could you, do you mind repeating it? Yeah. I'm exporting goods, fresh fruits. Yeah. Ah, okay. Exporting goods and fruits. Right. So you have a current skill set that you are a young writer and you're exporting fruits as well. So one thing that you can consider is how you can use your writing to increase visibility for your exporting business. For example, you can talk a little bit about the story about okay. how the fruits originated a little bit about the life cycle of a fruit, for example, from the time you brought it in, planted it, from the time you're harvesting, defending the trees against the weather, against pests, for example. And if you can weave that into a story that's compelling enough, then you can create a brand for your particular fruit, for example, or your particular export business. So sometimes it's all about telling the story that's behind it, and that's where the brand comes from. Using part of your writing to be able to do that, to bring your brand out, would be able to make you stand out a little bit more from your competitors. Aside from the writing about your business, you can also consider things like social media marketing skills, where you're doing up short video snippets, for example, 15, 20 seconds TikTok videos or something informative about what you're doing, something interesting or exciting that people don't know about when it comes to exporting fruit in particular. And you can string it together in a video series, put it up on LinkedIn, you know, YouTube, Facebook, and get people excited about the brand, get people coming back to you because you're doing all of this marketing and creating that, you know, fan base when it comes to your business, instead of just plain out saying that, hey, this is my business. I'm a number in a street directory. Call me if you need exporting, importing business, for example. So 
being able to create a reason for people to see you would probably help a lot more than just talking about it. So hopefully this helps answer some of your questions. Hi, Satish. Yeah, good noon. This is Satish from India. I hope I'm audible, Mr. Chang. Hi, yes, yes. Very clear. Thank you. Yeah. My, my, quest, my question is, while doing all this personal branding and to stand out through your skills, in the market we operate at times, how to control what it should not go to audience that we are overdoing? I'm sorry, I don't quite understand the question. So you're saying that yeah, I, I, I'm doing the branding. Yeah, how to, how to con- control in the markets we operate at times, all these uh, personal branding exercises to stand out in the market. How to control and it should not look at that we are overdoing all these things. I see. It's a very good question. And overdoing it is actually a matter of perception in some cases. How to consciously control this and not to send a wrong message to the audience. Ah, okay. That, that is something that I have been very careful to do myself as well. So in the post that I have, for example, I tend to shy away from words that have negative connotations on them because that conveys something that is not positive to my readers as well. So in terms of not being seen as negative or not overdoing certain things, it needs to be from a place of experience as well. So to be honest, I mean, everybody talks about how you shouldn't DM and pitch slap people. In all honesty, in full disclosure, I used to do that. So when I first started on social media, I had no idea that pitch flapping was a bad thing. I was like, oh, isn't this what everybody does on social media? So I actually got on LinkedIn and I actually made a few connections and just basically pitch slap like everybody who I connected with. And I don't do that now. I mean, yeah, I really don't do that now. And that's part of the reason why I, I have like people attending my audio event, right? So part of it is experience and learning. The thing is, we need to draw the line between what experiences are safe for me to go ahead and learn and what experiences are Sorry, the, the background is a bit... Sorry, your background is a, a little bit noisy, so I muted you for, for the moment. Yeah, so the question is that what are the things I can do safely that wouldn't get me banned, complained against, etc.? And what are the things that I should totally avoid doing, right? So that line is usually quite clear when it comes to social media. If you have been on for a while, you'll see things that people stop short of doing. And that is where the line is, right? I wouldn't want to talk about things like politics or religion online if I can avoid it because those are polarizing views. And I mean, it works both ways. Sometimes polarizing views gets you a lot of views, a lot of engagements, but sometimes it just turns a lot of people off. So those are the things that we would want to avoid in a situation like this. But everything else has to be a learning experience where trying it a few times and figuring out what is good, what is bad, will help us to develop their skill better. So a lot like the R&D that I was talking about earlier. So I hope this answers your question, Sachish. Sorry, you're, you're muted currently. So if you're speaking, we can't hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification, Terence. Cool. Okay. Glad I managed to shed some light. So thank you all, everybody, for attending the session today. I mean, if you have any last minute questions or things that you might want to ask, you can still raise up your hands. But we have come to the end of the session, I mean, in terms of like timing, and I don't want to overrun it for everybody else who's staying. So I'll do a quick recap of what we were talking about. The first thing that I said is that everything is a skill. So we want to try to be aware that we have all of these various skills 
that we can use in different ways to get things done. So even things like what Elizabeth mentioned, the childcare experience and customer service experience can be something that's very helpful in bringing out into real life and getting things done. There are also a lot of different situations whereby we want to get better at the skill and how do we go about and learn that? Like I think Charlotte was asking just now. So these are situations whereby we want to pick things up. The key, key thing to remember is don't try to spend 10,000 hours mastering all kinds of skills. You already have a skill set that is there. It's just which of it has to be slightly higher. I have a skill that's two or three points now. I need it at four or five points to be able to get my job done well. So I just go ahead and improve it that slight bit. There's no need to overexert effort to get all my skills up to a very high level because there's just not enough time for everybody to do that. So applying what we have to solve the problems sometimes just requires us to take a step back, two steps back to analyze the problem that's given to us by the boss. Why is this project done? I mean, is it for top line? Is it for the bottom line of the company, etc.? And being able to realize that, then we can apply our skills a bit better to deal with that particular issue. Not spending the time to reflect on certain things could cause that, that problem. So in the earlier question that was asked by Kabi, is it experience that really helps us to deal with a difficult impromptu situation or is it some other skill learning? So it's a mix of both. We need to take that step back, reflect and see how we can get better at it. And that's where the research and development really comes in to help us do all that. Right. So with that, right, I'll wrap up the session. I mean, if you have any other questions, any other things you might want to ask, feel free to pop by the event page and drop it in the comments and I'll be able to answer them later on as well. And if you do have any questions that you want to come and hit speak, I guess we can have a short chat after this. But of course, I don't want to hold anybody back too long. So if you want to head off, then feel free. All right, thanks everyone for attending. I guess no more questions at the moment. So I'll go ahead and end the session. So really, once again, thank you everybody for attending and hopefully you managed to take away something and really appreciate you guys staying here and supporting the event. So thank you. And if you have any further questions, you can just pop by my profile and actually have availability to do coffee chats if anybody is keen on like getting some insights as well. All right, good night everybody or good afternoon or good morning, depending on which part of the world you're at currently. I'll see you again soon, I hope. Take care.